Welcome to the Southridge Baptist Church Podcast. We are currently in the series entitled, The I Am Says I Am, where we are learning how to connect who God says we are with who we truly want to be. Join us for a powerful word from God as we listen to this Sunday sermon entitled, Closing the Identity Gap. I had thought about bringing a Father's Day sermon, but we're in this series, and I just couldn't break away from the series. And so if you were looking for a Father's Day message, I hate to disappoint you, but this will not be a Father's Day message. This is going to be a continuation of our series entitled, The I Am Says I Am. Wasn't that video a great video on our identity, that we are a new creature? Um, There is so much that we as believers need to understand about who God says we are. The world is going to constantly try to define you and try to define who you should be. But I'm telling you what, we need to go back to God's word and find out who God says we are. We are. And then we will, we will be the right type of fathers. We will be the right type of husbands, friends, co-workers, bosses, and that type of thing. We will be the right person if we are going to God's word and looking at who he says we are to be. Our identity is constantly under attack. Have you noticed that? Constantly. People are constantly trying to rebrand, redefine, change things up, and our identity is constantly under attack. And many of us feel like our identity is really just up for grabs. You feel like, man, I just feel like I I don't know who I am some days. I I wake up or I look in myself in the mirror and I just think, who is this person? Maybe especially after maybe a little spat with the spouse and uh, uh, you look at yourself and think, man, I can't believe Oh, I can't believe I did that. Or, or maybe you did something at work and you just felt terrible about it. Like, man, who am I? You know, I, I'm having some identity issues here. And sometimes we feel like our identity is up for grabs. But I'm here to tell you, your identity is not up for grabs. If you are a child of God, you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You are his beloved child. He loves you. He, he, his affection, his love, his focus is on you. You're his beloved child. So your identity is not up for grabs, but guess what? Your thinking about your identity is up for grabs. That's what's up for grabs. It's who you think you are. And that's where we struggle with. It's not who we really are. It's who we think we are that impacts our lives. And so we're really delving into not who do I think I am, but who does God says I am. And that's really where we have a problem. Because we can go to God's word and we have no problem agreeing with God about what God says about himself. That's easy. God is omniscient. God is all-powerful. God is all-loving, all all-knowing. We, we understand that. But here's the problem. It's when he starts saying good things about us, we just have a hard time really believing it. We have a hard time when he says, you are righteous. And you say, no, 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 I'm not righteous. When he says that you are pure, and you're thinking, no, I am not pure. When God says you are his favorite child, and you're thinking, no, 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 life has not been so great to me. There's no way. That's where we have a problem is our thinking. And so this morning, I really want to help us and be an encouragement to us. And my prayer is that this series will give you great faith to live out what God has put inside of you. Because there is, there is this identity that needs to be pulled out. And the technical theological term is called sanctification. Really, this identity series is all about our sanctification. You say, what is sanctification? I know, I told you it's a big theological word. And it's one of those words where it's, it's, it's you got saved, but you immediately didn't just kind of overnight become presto amazing uh, uh, Apostle Paul. I mean, it just didn't happen. It's not like, man, you just got saved and everything changed. You no longer are tempted. You no longer think bad thoughts. You never get angry. You never do anything wrong. It, it didn't happen like that. But there's this process where we are becoming more like Christ, and that process is called sanctification. 
And that process is something that God wants us to go through to become more like him each and every day. And he'll use the word of God, he'll use the circumstances, and he'll use the Holy Spirit to get us along to where we need to be. You see, the way I see myself is determined what I base my identity on. And I started this series uh, several weeks ago because we're in the fourth part of this series. And I, and I said that I have a gap in my life. There's a gap between where God wants me, me to be and where I want to be and where I actually am. There's this gap. And I struggle with the gap. I know I ought to be a better Christian. I know I ought to read my Bible more. I know I ought to love my spouse more. I know I ought to be a better father. I know I ought to be honest. I know I should drive the speed limit. I know I should I, and do that and, fill, and you fill in the blank. But there's this, this gap in my life. And guess what? Uh, before you look at me thinking, wow, you're a terrible pastor. Guess what? You have a gap too. We all have a gap. There's a gap in, in our life between where God wants to be and where we actually are. And for the last several weeks, we've been talking about that gap. And we've really been looking at characters. And last week, we talked about the insecurity that we can have because of our identity. When we don't know who we are, at least a great insecurity. And we talked about the life of King Saul. And then we talked about the life of Gideon. Both had great insecurities they just one dealt with it properly the other one never dealt with it and it ruined him and so we dealt with insecurity we've also dealt with um just kind of this bouncing back and forth between identities we have our good days and our bad days we come to church we get fired up and man i'm gonna be a great christian and then monday morning i mean something happens and it just seems like our whole week is just downhill from there and we just feel like man did i just live for the devil this week i mean i had such a good day on sunday how how did that happen it seems like your identity up and down up and down and that was the life of jacob and we looked at the life of jacob and then we also looked at other characters in the old testament well this week i am so excited about the character we're going to look at because this week we are going to start diving into how we can close the gap i've kind of danced around it but now we are finally going to get to the point where how do we really walk in newness of life how do we live out what god has put inside of us how do we truly become all that i know is in there all that i know that god wants me to be that i've never quite stepped into that life how how does that happen and this morning lord well we're going to start the process of closing this gap this morning and we're going to look at the biblical character of david now David is that character that everybody knows about. I mean, you can ask anybody about David, especially when you say, hey, David and and Goliath. Oh, yeah, yeah, David and Goliath. I know David and Goliath. So I'll be honest, I'm a little bit intimidated to kind of preach it because, I mean, this passage, everybody's heard it. And it'd be really easy for you to just say, ah, I'm going to kind of just tune you out. It's Father's Day. I could use a little bit extra rest. So I'm just going to, it's nice and dark, seats are comfortable. I'm going to kick back and get get some extra sleep. Please, please don't do that. We're going to, we're going to dive in into this and i'm hoping this morning that god will use this passage to close the gaps in our life we at the end of this message we can see that there is some hope in becoming who god wants us to be so let's start this morning with a word of prayer i feel like this message will be important to us and i feel like if we don't ask the holy spirit's help and power then this message will really won't do much so let's go to lord in prayer and 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 pray for me and uh sometimes I, I get up here and I think, you know, you know, I, I want to deliver this message so bad to you. And I hope you understand my frustration. Um, I, uh, it, I work up a sweat and I am so exhausted by the end of the day because I'm so wanting you to get something. And sometimes I wonder if you're wanting to receive it. Um, you know what it's like to try to feed a baby who doesn't want to eat what you're feeding him. And you're just like, 
come on, here comes the choo-choo train, you're making faces. And sometimes I feel like, man, I really want you to get it. And, and, and it may even be good food, too, that you're trying to feed the baby. You're like, is this, this is good. This is really, you're going to like it. And they're just like, no, nah, I'm not going to eat it. And I'm like, man, this, this is a good message. I mean, this is not that I'm the greatest preacher, but this is really, God's word is great. And so as I pray, would you pray for you? Would you pray, God, help me to get the message. Help me to be hungry this morning. Pray that this morning. God, make me hungry. If you're not hungry, and I understand, we got troubles, we got cares, we got a lot going on, folks. Let's be honest, all right? And this next 45 minutes, there's going to be a lot that's going to come up in your mind, and, and you're going to want to make the grocery list while, you're, while I'm preaching. You're going to want to take the worship guide and start writing out your to-do list, and I'm going to encourage you not to. I'm going to encourage you to just say, you know what, I'm going to lock in, I'm going to get engaged, and I'm going to get something this morning, okay? So I'll pray, and you pray for uh, your own heart as well. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the blessing it is to get to preach your word, your powerful word. I pray that you speak to hearts. I thank you for each and every father that's represented this morning. I pray a blessing on them. I thank you for them. I pray that they would be men that would be called and courageous to do the will of God with uncompromising stand, that they would be courageous in a day and age where it seems like dads are, are criticized, they're looked down on, where it's easy to just kind of kind of just overlook them. And I just pray that you would encourage the fathers in this room. Encourage them to be men with 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 hearts of compassion but yet with wills of iron that they would just go out and they'd make a difference in the lives of their families and the lives of their children that they would understand that they are called to a great calling whether it was an unexpected plan or whether whether they they had planned on becoming a father or how, however it happened i just pray that you would use them i pray for all the men in this room pray that you would raise up godly leaders in this church and in this city we thank you for the time that we're going to spend pray that you would you would speak to our hearts i pray that we would be ready and open to receive it and all God's people said, amen. You know, I heard a quote once that said, and it goes like this, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Yes, that is right. And the rest of the quote goes like this, and if daddy ain't happy, ain't nobody care. <laughs> nobody cares. That's how it goes. I'm telling you what, when it comes to Father's Day, it just kind of seems like there's not much love there. But I'm telling you what, fathers, if it weren't for you, uh, this, we'd, if we were honest, I mean, half the stuff that happens around here, if it didn't, if you weren't a part of it, it just wouldn't happen. And so you are valued here. Well, our Bible's open to 1 Samuel chapter number 16. If you don't have your Bible, look up on the screen, or you can pull up your iPad or your iPhone and pull it up on there. Or it's in the note, it's in your worship guide as well. You'll see the scripture passages. We're going to read several verses. I didn't have room to put all the verses in, so I put some of them in there. And uh, we're going to just read them, and I'll, I'll read them aloud and as you follow along silently. The Bible says, 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil. Go, I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me, unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? 
And he said, Peaceably I come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse his son and called them to sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now, it doesn't say it, but Eliab is Jesse's oldest son, okay? So, Jesse has eight boys that we know of that scripture talks about. We don't know of any daughters, but we know he had eight boys. Eliab is the oldest of Jesse's sons. Eliab is David's oldest brother. Okay, this is Eliab. And Eliab is the man. And Samuel sees him and it's like, whoa, this is the next king. I mean, it was as if Eliab had Samuel at hello. It was just right there. It was like, man, this is the guy. I mean, here's Samuel ready to pour the oil. And then we notice the verse. Here's what God says to Samuel again. And, um, Here's what God says in verse number eight. Then Jesse called to Benadab, or I'm sorry, verse seven. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called to Benadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither hath God chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen any of these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and a goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Here's the story. Here's how it plays out. You read the passage. We saw what happened. Here's seven sons passed before Samuel. God says, I'm not going to anoint any of those seven sons. And then Samuel says to Jesse, Jesse, do you have one more? Is there somebody else? I mean, God sent me here. He said, you have a son. And it's almost as if there's this afterthought of like David. And I'll tell you why. Scholars believe that David is anywhere between the ages of 10 years old and 12 years old. You could see why it'd be an afterthought of the next king. 10 years old, 12 years old. No, 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 no. I mean, this is, no, if you're here to anoint a king, my son who doesn't even pick up his room, you know, still thinks girls have cooties. No, 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 this isn't the next king. I'm sorry. He's just not kingly material. He's out with the sheep, all right? And so that's why you would see that, hey, that's why they kind of passed over him. But aren't you glad what everybody else is kind of like maybe passing over? God says, no, 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 there's the diamond in the rock. There's the one I want to use. And you may be sitting here feeling like, I just feel so passed over. But I'm telling you what, God's got a purpose in, in it. God's going to do something. And I'm excited to bring a point, and it's hard for me not to preach it right now because it fits so well in this point of the message. But I'll save the good stuff for just a little bit later in this message. I love how David is the eighth child. And for some of you Bible scholars in the room, you'll appreciate this. Eight is the number of new beginnings. God is about to do a new thing, not only in the life of David, but also in the life of the nation of Israel. Because David becomes the king. All kings are compared to King David. Now, King David, he messes up, folks. He does. He messes up royally, okay? But yet God still says that David had a heart after God. He, he, he loved God, and, and he was focused on him. And yet God still uses David. But David is anointed. You say, what's the big deal about this anointing? Back in that day, 
and age, the anointing was a sign of God's presence, okay? It was a sign of God's presence and his power on somebody's life. And the words even said it in that last verse, number 12. But also, it was a sign that here's the prophet is anointing the next king of Israel. You are anointed to be the king. Now, David is between the ages of 10 and 12. Now, here's what really strikes me as odd, okay? He's anointed king. And then verse number 13, the Bible says, So Samuel rose up, and he went to Ramah. Where's David? Where's the coronation? Where's the press release? Where's calling CNN and Fox News and ABC and NBC and saying, Hey, there's a new king in town. Where's all the reporters? Where's the lights? Where's the new clothes? Where's the triumphal entry into Jerusalem? It's not there. It's not at all. Let's skip ahead, and if you want to, Second Samuel chapter number 5. 2 Samuel 5, verse number 1, the Bible says, Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron, and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou was, uh, it was thou that lettest us out and brought us in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain, captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. And David was... 30 years old when he began to reign. There's a gap. There's a gap. David's anointed king at the ages of between 10 and 12, scholars say. The gap is it's going to take 18 years before he actually gets to sit on the throne and wear the crown. There's a gap in your life. You got saved. You're born again. You've received Christ into your heart. And you're excited but you're not where you want to be. You're not where God wants you to be. There's a a gap. But how do you fill the gap? That's what's important. Any good athlete knows that the off-season is almost, if not more important, than the actual season. Because it's what we do in the off-season that prepares us for game day. And too many times we as Christians are treating our gap as a time to take a break. Instead of seeing the gap as a time to say, no, no, it's training. I'm still working out. I'm still preparing. Yes, I may not be in the fight. I may not be exactly where I want to be. I may not be king yet. I may not have arrived yet. I may not be married yet. I may not have that relationship yet. I may not have that career yet. I may not be there, but I'm not just going to kind of wait for it to happen and twiddle my thumbs. Because I see too many Christians wasting the gap. And I know, I'll be honest, the gap's no fun. Let's just just call it what it is. This gap stinks, folks. Nobody wants to be in the gap. We love the salvation, baptism, and then we just want to get to where we're going. I mean, come on, if you're ever on a trip, I mean, it's not like, okay, we're just going to kind of take our sweet little time, no care in the world. I'm like, let's get there. Let's just go. I mean, hold it. I got to use the bathroom. Just hold it, you know, uh, find a bottle or something. You know, we're just going. We're, we're not stopping, okay? And it's just one of those trips where I'm just driven like that, all right? We, were, uh, we went to a theme park this past week, and we spent 14 and a half hours there. Who does that with toddlers? That's crazy. I said, Jane, never again. I'm too old for this stuff. This is not happening, okay? I'm just like 14 and a half hours with a two-year-old? No, thank you, all right? No, no, it's just not happening. And to wait for the frozen princesses? I'm telling you, I was about to let it go at that moment. I was just like, forget it, all right? I'm done. But it was just the, uh, what you're willing to do because it's so driven. And some of you in this room, you're so driven. You're just trying to get there. But God is saying, no, no, I've got something for you. See, David's gap was obscurity to destiny. 
Right now, that's your gap. There's obscurity, and then you want to get to the destiny. What has God called me to? And some of you, you may feel like, you know, this message, I'm kind of later in life, or I'm in the middle of life, and I kind of got this all figured out. I'm telling you what, we all have gaps, and I hope you don't just tune me out, because I'm going I'm to find your gap. And your gap may not be a career. Your gap may not be your marriage. But in this message, we're going to see how God's going to reveal our gap, because how are we handling the gap? You see, here's the thought. For David, 10, 12 years old, he's anointed. And he has to go right back to the sheep. I mean, it's like the brothers that always picked on you are still going to pick on you. They're still going to mess with him. He's still got to tend sheep even though he's anointed the next king. Even though he's an anointed servant that God's going to use in a great way. He still has to go back and guess what? He still has to go finish junior high and high school. Still has to go through all the normal things that everybody else goes through. There's nothing really has changed about him. But here's what, what could happen. David has a dream, and it hasn't happened yet. And maybe you have a dream, and it hasn't happened yet. But I'm here to tell you, just because the dream is delayed doesn't mean it's dead. Just because there's a gap, just because you're not where you want to be today, doesn't mean the dream is dead. And for some of you, that's how you feel. You drag yourself into church just kind of because you feel like the dream is dead, man. It's over. God told me back then to do it. How do you know God isn't having you in the gap season of your life? Why do you feel like the best years are behind you? Why do you feel like you miss God's greatest call? Why do you feel like you're second rate or inferior because of something that you did or didn't do in your life? Because God says, wait a minute, the dream may be delayed, but it is not dead. And that's a word for some of you in this room. Because some of you, you're so discouraged in your life, you can't get over something in your life because you feel like it's just dead. And I'm here to tell you, God is here to do something new in your heart and in your life. I want you to see first and foremost, though, how do we deal with the delays? I mean, how do we deal with them? We're all going to have delays, but how are we dealing with those delays? How are we handling it? You see, some of you have been in this for a long time, and you have begun to wonder. And really, that's a nice word to say you've begun to doubt. Because some of us are saying, God, it's been a long time. This family member has been sick for a long time. I, I, I don't know. God, my business has been struggling for a, lo- a long time. My career has been on the rocks for, for a long time. My marriage hasn't fixed for a long time. God, I haven't felt really close to you in a long time. I'm beginning to wonder. I'm beginning to, forgive me, God, doubt. How do we deal with the delays? David, I'll show you how he deals with the delays. Notice, if you would, chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. Notice verse 10 down through verse number 13. And I hope you don't mind. We do a little Bible study this morning. And uh, in verse number 10, the Bible says again, Jesse made, or I'm sorry. Yeah, chapter 16. Notice verse number 14, I'm sorry. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And for some of you, you say, how would God send an evil spirit? There's a good theological question. And uh, would God send us an evil spirit? And for all deep theological questions, ask Chris. All right, he'll, uh, no, I'm just kidding. A better translation would word it like this. An evil spirit was allowed from God, okay? It wasn't that God sent it. It was that God allowed it to happen, okay? You would say, would God send me an evil spirit? No, no, no. God, when he takes his hand off our lives, we're, we're open to attack, okay? We can be open to that. Now, some people, this is a little, little, little side trail here. We'll just kind of dive in it just for a second. Some people have wondered, can a Christian be 
possessed. No, you cannot be possessed by a demon, but you can be oppressed by a demon. You can. And so that's one of this is what's happening right here to Saul. He's not being possessed, but he is being oppressed and he is open to the attacks of Satan. Now, verse number 15. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servant which are before thee to seek out a man who is cunning player on an harp and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servant, provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, behold, I have found the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing and a mighty valiant man and a man of war and prudent in matters and a comely person and the Lord with him wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said send me David thy son which is with the sheep okay this is right after David has been anointed he's supposed to be the next king and you say what's David doing in the gap he's with the sheep he's not just sitting back and telling all his brothers hey I'm gonna be the next king so why don't we start practicing right now why don't you start bowing down uh, uh, sisters mom why don't you start learning your curtsy and kind of getting those things down no no he's back at work he's not wasting a moment and you shouldn't either you shouldn't just say well I'm just waiting for the rapture to happen I'm just gonna be on uh, what's that TV show where they all move to Montana and build bunkers or something you know that's me and I'm buying all this canned food filling my bathtub with water I mean and that's, that's not the mentality we need to have as believers we need to be at it and here I want you to understand David was anointed for an assignment he was anointed to do something he was anointed for a purpose God saved you for a reason you say hey I'm here what is my purpose you're not dead so God has a purpose for you okay if you didn't have a purpose trust me you'd be in heaven with him and God says no no, you're not dead I've got a plan I've got a purpose for your life I'm going to use you you are anointed for an assignment you are a child of God God has an anointing for you it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be king but it does mean you are anointed to accomplish something for the kingdom of God and David was anointed you say how do I know I'm anointed Ephesians chapter number one verse number four says according as he had chosen us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love he had chosen that is a special anointing that means God specifically picked you out you think man I'm just I'm just one in a million just one in the lineup no no God says you are marvelously made you're anointed for an assignment but I want you to see how David handled this gap notice this you know when Saul was looking for somebody he was looking for somebody who could play well Notice he didn't say, I'm looking for somebody who could pray well or preach well. Sometimes, sometimes we think, well, I wish I could just have your job, Pastor Micaiah, because just, you know, you're just Sundays. You know, that's, that's kind of nice. You know, it's kind of, you know, just kind of make it happen, you know? I mean, I, I got news for you. These sermons don't come backed up on a truck. Nobody drops off a load of sermons for me. Hey, hey, this stuff just isn't magically set up. We paid and rent the theater, but the theater workers, they're making popcorn. They're not setting up lights and stuff, okay, folks? This stuff just doesn't just happen, all right? I want you to understand that there's work, there's a process, and sometimes we as Christians get in this notion, get in this mindset that it's just, if God wants me to be better at something, he'll just make me better. No, no, David became skilled at the harp, okay? This wasn't something that, oh, it's just kind of, I'm going to start playing the harp. No, David developed what God had placed inside of him. God has placed a gift inside of you. Are you developing it? Oh man, I wish I could be in ministry. Oh, that's great. Are you leading anybody to Christ at your workplace? Eh? That's where we start. You say, oh man, I wish I could get up and preach. Excellent. Preach to your family. That's a good place to start. Oh man, I wish I could get up and sing. Excellent. Start practicing. Oh, I wish I could do that or I wish I could be there. Excellent. What are you doing now about it? 
David didn't one day, oh, Saul needs a harp player? Excellent. I'm going to start playing a harp. I'm telling you what, have you ever seen a harp? They're huge. They're not so small. We always had this little, small, little, no, a lyre was still pretty big size, okay? Everybody else is playing a cool instrument. They got the bass guitar. They got the drums. And here's David lugging his harp, okay? I mean, this cat was crazy. He's got this big old harp that he's lugging, and this guy can play. I mean, he was tearing it up on the harp, and people knew about him. How do you think he got to be famous? He was good, folks. What are you good at? I'm afraid we as Christians sometimes have a bad rap. Let's be honest. I've worked with some people, and I've been a manager for places where they say, oh, I'm a Christian, and I actually hired them based that they said they were Christian. The worst workers. They just thought, well, I thought you were a Christian. I thought we would just pray. No, we've got to make some money. We've got to make a living here. We've got to sell stuff. We're not just going to pray all the whole time. I'm all about prayer. Pray on your break, buddy. Hey, let's make other time, not when I'm paying you, okay? Let's be wise about this, and we laugh, and we joke, because we know it's true. We know sometimes we as Christians, we can get too spiritual for our own good, and we can walk into work, and we just kind of, oh, it was a wonderful day at church. I'm not going to get anything done. And we're just like, what's wrong with you? But I'm telling you, it'll be a great testament to the Holy Ghost and to God and to this church when you go into work, and you are fired up, and you're excited, and you do a good job. They'll look at you and think, wow. Man, look what you're doing with your gap. You're saying, I'm filling in the gap by doing a good job. David developed the skill he was developing. You see, you're anointed for an assignment. Get this also. I love this. This is what I was saving. They forgot about David, but guess what? My visibility does not determine my value. Right now, you may think, man, does anybody notice? Guess what? If you may not be visible, but it does not mean you are not valuable. God sees your value. Your value is not based on anything else except for that you are the child of God. That makes you a joint heir with Christ. There is your value. You see, this value that God has put inside of you, you need to work that out. You see, it's the things that no one else sees that produces the results everyone else wants. All right? I was listening to a great football player that he was talking about. He's 5'9", plays for the Carolina Panthers. 5'9", folks. I'm 5'9". That's not big, okay? His muscles are a little bit smaller than mine. But, I mean, I'm telling you what, he, he you know, he's just, <laughs> you're laughing. I'm hurt. And, and, and he, he, was, he, he, was, he was out there talking about how, man, he was smaller. It was harder. He was from this background. We didn't have any help, any coaching, but he made it at the NFL, and he's doing great, and he's had 10 years with the Panthers, and he is just tearing it up. He's won uh, uh, all kinds of championships, and he's helped them a lot. But he was saying this. He was saying, everybody else thinks they can do my job because I worked so hard that the guy eating potato chips on the couch, 350 pounds, thinks he can make that catch. Because that's how hard I work. How hard are you working at it? You say, man, I want, I want to be like that husband. Guess what? He works at it. Man, I, wa- I, want, to, I want to have kids like, like that person's kids. They worked at it. I want to have the position that they've got. They worked at it. Now, I know what we do. I know how we do it. When somebody asks you about your work, we always talk about the highlights. We always talk about the good things, the benefits. We don't really talk about the manager that's always on our nerves. We don't really talk about the corporate politics that's in play. We don't always talk about the negative because we don't want to come across as complaining. But guess what? Whatever position you got, it's because that's how hard you work. That's why you're there. And we need to say, wait a minute, God, I'm going I'm to use this gap. I'm not going to waste it. David wasn't wasting his time, folks. And we shouldn't either. We should say, David, he was filling in his gap. How am I filling in my gap? Also, you say, I, I just feel like I'm just not visible enough. Think about this. I, I don't know how it goes in your house. But if we have some lilt chocolate in our house, 
if, I said, if we do, I don't know about it. He said, why? Because my wife has to hide it, okay? Because why? They're her favorites. So she hides them because they're her favorites. You're God's favorite. Sometimes he'll hide you. You're his favorite. You're his favorite. You say, man, I'm like chocolate to this. What is the comparison here? What are you saying, man? But I'm saying this. God sometimes puts you in obscurity to prepare you for a greater opportunity. And so don't get discouraged in your gap right now, folks. Don't get all down and this is the end and it's hopeless. I'm going to give up. No, God is going to do something. So deal with the delay. Secondly, notice this. The delay will try to steal your determination. It will, folks. You have this determination. I'm going to make it to my destiny. But the delay, the longer you're in the delay it just seems like that much harder to make it to your destiny and i'm telling you what you're gonna have to struggle with it the delay will try to steal your destiny see the longer you wait it is the harder to wait so how do you deal with that that means develop what god has deposited god has put this gift inside of you develop it also waiting moments shouldn't be wasted moments don't waste the moments use the moments understand that david he was developing himself he was getting to be around king saul how God planned that, folks. How else would David know how to be a king? He was going to get one-on-one time with King Saul. He was going to get to watch how King Saul handled things. Uh, There is no way that Saul, with his ego, would ever let somebody he knew was going to be king get that close to him. No way. No way. But here David had this access to Saul because God had planned it and David had used his gifts. His gifts got him there. The proverb says this, a man's gift maketh room for him or it advances him. How are you stewarding the gift that God has put in you? Can you sing? Then sing. Can you preach? Then preach. Can you serve? Then serve. What can you do? How are you stewarding the gift that God has put inside of you? There is a deposit inside of you and God wants you to use it. The apostle Peter said this to uh, uh, the, in First Peter. He said, Stir up the gift that is inside of you. See, there's a gift inside of each and every one of us, and sometimes it just needs to be stirred up. You ever looked at uh, uh, any type of liquid, and it starts to separate over time, and you have to stir it up? Some of you, the gift's kind of sunk into the bottom. It's kind of separating. You think it's so down there. And your job is to just stir that up. And I'm going to try to do that on Sunday mornings. I'm going to try to get you stirred up about what God is doing in your life. I'm going to try to get you stirred up about what God can do in your family. I'm going to try to get you stirred up about what God can do in your marriage. I'm going to get you stirred up about what God can do in this city. I'm going to get you stirred up about what God can do in this church. And I'm going to keep trying to stir you up. And every Sunday you come, I'm just going to keep on stirred. I'm just going to keep on trying to get you stirred up. And I know the clock's always against me. I always feel like I'm working against the clock. But I'm telling you what, I come in here with 45 minutes to try to fire you up to get you ready to go and face this world because I want you to take that gift that God has put inside of you and develop that gift and go into this world and make a difference where you're at because that's what God has called us to. And I'm tired of people just coming into church just thinking, oh, I'm just kind of doing my Christian duty. No, no, no. Stir up the gift. God's put something inside of you. Now it's your job to work that out and to develop that gift. David didn't just show up and I'm going to go kill a giant today. He got there. God developed the gap and God used the gap. God wants to use the gap in your life. Don't just think I got saved here and I'm going to be perfect tomorrow. God says there's this gap. There's this identity gap and I'm going to fill it in. David, this is how we filled it in. He didn't turn, he didn't let those waiting moments become wasting moments. And some of you, you're wasting your moments. This is how you're wasting your moments. Click, 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 click. Just wasting. Or there's this one. Click, mouse, click, Facebook, 
Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, uh, uh, whatever. There's so much out there, social media. And you're just like wasting time. And I'm telling you what, there's your children growing up before you. There's your wife over there. And you're just wasting these moments. There's a moment where you could say, I'm going to do something. I'm not going to be the guy that just kind of, oh, whatever happened to him. I want to be used by God. Also, let God cultivate your character. God was developing David. Also, determination is how you get through those defining moments. It's going to take determination. Hey, the delay will try to steal that determination, but you need to stay determined that I will finish, that I will become what God wants me to. Go to chapter 17. I know we're running out of time. Chapter 17, verse 22. Chapter 17, we're getting to Goliath. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriages and ran into the army, came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were sore afraid. David comes, he's called, and his dad said, hey, go deliver some food to your brothers. And here he comes, and as soon as he gets there, here comes this giant. And as soon as he gets here, he's got, you can see his arms full of food for his brothers and all of a sudden the giant comes out and the guys are gone they're hiding here's David with the food just kind of looking down there's a giant over there he's like what's the deal man and then all of a sudden this giant starts cursing his God and cursing Israel and all of a sudden what started out as an intimidation became an invitation there's going to be some things in your life that are going to try to intimidate you and you need to look at those intimidations as your invitation because David, while everybody else was allowing the intimidation to destroy their courage, destroy their determination, David saw it as an invitation of God. He said, this is what God has prepared me for. And I'm not going to let this invitation go by. And don't let you and you let it go by. There's somebody that's at work maybe saying, ah, don't, don't pray over lunch or oh, don't be a Christian or just kind of quit and stop. No, no. The intimidation is your invitation. Would you start looking at the next intimidation in life saying, God is calling me to something in my life. And I'm not going to let the devil, I'm not going to let this world I'm not going to let something else intimidate me. I'm going to let it become an invitation in my life and start seeing the challenges as a greater invitation to do something great. Also, not only the invitation as an invitation, see the obstacles as an opportunity. Notice, first it was Goliath, but then, verse 26, and David spake to the men and that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killed this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I dare you this week to try to just throw that in conversation, uncircumcised Philistine. Just casually, just throw it in. I'm telling you what, just, just try it. I, I, man, it's, it's out there. At 27, And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killed him. Verse 28, And Eliab, his elder brother heard when he spake unto the man in Eliab's anger was kindled against David and he said why carest thou down comest thou down hither and with whom hast thou left those few sheep I know thy pride and the nonness of thine heart for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle here's his own brother now trying to discourage him David had this determination here's this giant that's come up against him and the giant's going to try to intimidate him and then now comes his own brother an obstacle but I'm telling you what these obstacles are an opportunity you say why how do you handle it notice verse number 29 and David said what have I now done is there not a cause and he turned from him towards another here's what you have to do when you're in a situation like this guess what you got to learn to turn Learn to turn. Say it to somebody next to you. Say, hey, you've got to learn to turn. Learn to turn. Learn to turn. That's right. There's going to be people that they're going to be an obstacle in your life. Don't waste a moment. Don't waste a moment. Don't waste a breath. I'm telling you, before we even started this church, we were getting emails. During while we started this church, I've gotten phone calls. I've gotten letters. I've gotten people getting negative. I've got people thinking stuff and doing stuff. But you know what? I've learned one thing. Learn to turn. 
Huh? Okay, sorry. God bless you. I'm learning to turn. My mind is fixed. God's got something else for me. God bless you. I pray a blessing on you. But I've got to learn to turn because your obstacles are going to turn into my opportunity. And I'm not going to let it stop me. I'm not going to let it get in my way. And neither should you because God says, hey, if we're going to fill in the gap, here's how we do it. Here's how we fill in the gap. Use that time. Don't let determination stop you from those defining moments. David was at a defining moment of his life. Can you imagine David if he never killed Goliath? Who would he be? He'd be like, what? That doesn't work. That's just wrong, man. David doesn't kill Goliath. That just messes up my childhood. I need therapy. You know, I mean, that just wouldn't work in my mind. But David was prepared to take down this Goliath. You say, what do you mean he was prepared? You've got to be kidding me. David, at this point, guess what? He's, you had to be 17 to be in the army. 17. So we know David's not 17. Okay? So he's younger than 17. He's older than when he was anointed. But still, he's a young boy, a young teenager. He's just barely gone through puberty. The voice has just barely dropped, okay, folks, all right? He's got like one or two facial hair. That's about it, okay? And here he comes, and guess what he says to Saul? Here's this defining moment in his life, and I love David for this. Verse 31, and when the words were heard, when David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail thee because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. What? David, come on, man. You're the dude with the heart, all right? How many times, think about this, folks. Think, think, think. The Bible's not boring. We're boring, okay? All right. The, here's David, all right? When I think of guys who are musical, I, I, <laughs> you feel me? It's just not usually the type that are, dude, I'm going to eat this John alive. I'm playing on defensive. You know, I'm going to, they're just not really, they're more like, hi, how you doing? You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of, they got really soft hands. You know, I'm just, I don't meet too many masculine musical guys, all right? I just don't. Maybe you have. I don't. So here's David. Hey, let no man's heart fail thee. I'll take out this giant. I mean, I would just be like, David, dude, you can play the harp really well. But this is a giant, man. This is a little bit out of your league, okay? But David has this confidence because he knows that what appears as a disadvantage is really his advantage. And that's how you need to start looking at your life. Because you're thinking, man, if I could just talk, or if I could just be this, or if my mind was sharper, if I could just do this. You need to start seeing your disadvantages as God's advantages. Because Goliath was used to fighting with a sword and a shield. David had never picked up a sword. And matter of fact, David puts on Saul's armor in this passage, and it's the original under armor, okay? And here David puts on this armor, and he says to Saul, I can't wear these, I can't prove these, and here's a lesson for you, you can't wear the expectations of others. Won't work. And some of you are. You're trying to wear the expectation of others. You're trying to, that's what's messing a lot of you up in your identity. Because you're trying to be somebody else and not you. You're trying to be what mommy wants you to be, what daddy wants you to be. You got to be who God wants you to be. That's the lesson for you. And Saul said, put on this armor, wear this sword, and you will look like me. And people might think it's me if you die, or it's not me. But if you live, they will think it's me, and I can take glory. And this will be great. And David said, no, no, I can't wear this. It's not me. So David's disadvantage, he wasn't a soldier. He was a shepherd becomes a disadvantage. Why? Because when you got a giant who's used to -to hand-to-hand combat with a sword, the best thing you want to be is you want to be somebody who's used to artillery, not infantry, not hand-to-hand. You want somebody who's back from the enemy. And David, he was good with a slingshot. Now, 
I used to think about this slingshot. I used to think, man, this slingshot, I mean, this isn't slingshot. What is it? What is it, a little rubber band, a little rock or something? I mean, what? come on now. No, no, historians say they were called slingers. And these guys were lethal. They could get that thing going about seven revolutions a second. Okay, you say, how fast is that? It's faster than a 90-mile-per-hour fastball, okay? That's how fast they could get this thing going, okay? This thing is fast. And David, he was a slinger. He had practiced, and he's a slinger. And here's this disadvantage. It's now become an advantage because he doesn't want to get close to Goliath. But God took a disadvantage and turned it into an advantage. What are you in your life thinking, this is my greatest weakness, and God saying, oh, if you only knew. Because we live life forward. God lives life in reverse. He sees the beginning and he plays backwards. Okay? So God knows how your disadvantage is becoming a great advantage. You know what's even great? We don't have time. We don't have time. But later on in David's life, he's going to be running from Saul. And he has to leave in the middle of the night with no weapons, no armor. He flees for his life. And he goes to a village. And in this village, he comes to the temple. And in the temple, there's this king, or there's this prophet, and he comes to the prophet, and he says, hey, do you have any food? And do you have any weapons? Is there a sword or a spear? I need something. I, I've fled from Saul. I need something. And, and the prophet almost nonchalantly said, yeah, it's, it's Goliath's sword, though. Really? And you have to know in David's mind how it's like, here I am years later. Who would have known that one day I'd need Goliath's sword? Only God would have known that. Some of you, you're looking at your past saying, how is it ever going to work? And God's saying, one day you're going to need that. One day that situation, it's going to show up in your future. And you'll be like, God, you knew. Oh, you knew. God, you're good. So smart. Wow. Awesome. Good. Pound. Bam. Excellent. And I'm telling you what, instead of looking at your life like, man, it just, oh, why is God doing all the same, God? I don't know how you're going to put this together one day, but I know you're going to put this together. I know you're going to use this disability, this disease, my past, my difficulties, my shortcomings, my failings. God, you're going to use it. Because God knows how to take things and flip them on their head. Where, devil thought, and where the devil thought he was going to get a victory, God gets the glory out of it. See, David, he stayed determined through his defining moment. You see, your current frustration will one day call us for future celebration. If you will stay determined, there will be a celebration day. There's a gap. David's took 18 years in his gap. But understand, defining moments develop us for our destiny. You can trace your timeline of your life. And if you were to be honest with yourself, you would see how God has used events in your past to help you in your present And you could trace the timeline of David's life and you could see how God prepared him along the way. Why was he a shepherd? Because God knew you're going to have to learn how to lead. And I'm going to start with the hardest thing to lead and that is sheep. Because you're going to lead the children of Israel and that's not going to be easy. And God even said, hey, I'm going to send a lion and a bear. It's going to try to kill you. Defining moments. Things that might try to break you. But they're actually going to make you into what I want. You see, your past gives meaning to your present and your past gives momentum to your future. And we need to start seeing our gap through his eyes and start seeing how God can put it all together, folks. Because some of you, you're so discouraged about your gap and we all have a gap. And you're just like, man, I'm just, I know where God wants me to be, but here's where I am. 
What are you doing? It's off season. What are you doing? How are you using that moment? How are you stewarding the gap? God says, I want to use these moments and turn them into defining moments. But some of us, were wasting the moments. And when you say, wait a minute, God, you've got a plan. You've got a purpose. Dad, we need you. We need you. Moms, we need you. Christians, we need you. We need you to fill in the gap. Don't just, just think, ah, throw up my hands. Take me now, Jesus. No. God's got a plan. And if you would say, God, I'm going to stay determined through it. God's going to do some amazing things in your life. Develop what's been deposited. Cultivate that character. And we will see God do some amazing things in us and through us. Every head bowed and every eye closed.